0: We're going to center our attention together this morning in this space and time in the Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 1. This is a passage of scripture that you are probably more familiar with hearing during the season of Advent. It is what's known as the Magnificat, Mary's song, Uh, but it has particular power for us today as we uh, continue focusing in on the personhood of Jesus. Who is Jesus who is Jesus for us and for the world? And uh, today we're focusing in on Jesus is our Savior. And it comes to us in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 46. Let's hear together the word of the Lord. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. But has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is God's word, and so we, the people of God, give thanks to him for his word. Would you bow with me as we pray together? Let's begin in a moment of silence, centering our hearts and our minds on our Lord and Savior. Lord, we come before you thankful for your word, for the power contained therein, for the wisdom that's available to us. If we would but humble ourselves, and seek you in it. Lord, I pray in this space, in this time, that you would be glorified. That your word would be known. Open our eyes that we would see. Our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word. Our hearts that we would feel its power. Power for us and for all generations. And then open our hands. That we might, as your vessels, offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my absolute most favorite things to do in ministry is to go on confirmation retreat. Now, you might, if you know me, think, Jason just likes confirmation retreat because you play a lot of games and there's a lot of competition. And, uh, and so that's probably what Jason loves. And yes, that is true. There are a lot of games and there is a lot of com- competition. And I do love all of that. And... I also treasure the opportunity and the gift that it is to teach the students the profession of faith. I love the Christian profession of faith, and it's a capstone to our confirmation experience. Over the course of this journey of confirmation in the fall, our students are are deeply rooted in God's word, journeying from cover to cover, understanding the meta-narrative, the movement of scripture from beginning to end. And that is a great gift to orient ourselves, ourselves in God's word. And then in the spring, we turn our attention to the Apostles' Creed, to the Lord's Prayer, to the sacraments, and and drive deeply down into what do those things mean and and what is our theology, our understanding of God that's rooted in those ancient and uh, perfectly relevant practices of the Christian faith. And then when we get to the confirmation retreat, we focus on the profession of faith. Three questions and I love the, the profession of faith. You know that if you've been around for a little while, whenever we have new members join as we did at the 9 o'clock service this morning, uh, we, not only, uh, uh, we not only profess our faith whenever we come for baptism or what, whenever we come for confirmation, but we also profess our faith when new members join and, and they stand up and the whole body of the believers stands and we affirm our faith, reaffirm our faith, or profess our faith for the very first time together. And we ask three questions that could seem daunting in and of themselves. And if, and if we don't sit down and dig into what it means, we could really uh, be challenged by it. The first question is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Whew! I mean, that is serious business. Renounce, reject, repent, spiritual forces of wickedness, evil powers of this world, and sin. And so we drive down into that. And you'll probably notice as I'm beginning to articulate this in deeper form than we get whenever we do it on Sunday mornings, that's a cheat question. We just asked one question, but it's really three questions. And so whenever we sit down with our confirmants, we walk through what do these three questions mean? And then we move forward because we know that in and of our own strength and power, if we are going to answer that first question, we are incapable of actually following through. So the, sec- the second question is, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil and and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And I don't know about you, I've seen evil and and oppression in many forms. And many times, I probably don't even have the eyes to see God's vision of evil, injustice, and oppression. And so whenever we're saying that, we are acknowledging that we now have power from God to do this. The first question we answer and we say, man, I'm gonna answer it, but I'm gonna answer it humbly and I'm gonna walk, walk gently. And Lord, I am thankful that you're about to ask me that second question. Because if it wasn't for that second question, that first answer would not be possible. So we get freedom and power from God. And then we get to this, the critical orientation of our faith as Christians in the third question and this is the orientation that Mary uh, leads us in in the Magnificat and that we are going to be rooted in today as we focus in on God's word that third question is do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? I mean, that's really the heart of the matter, right? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? And whenever I begin teaching that to the students, I I, I go one layer deep. Because sometimes when we're asking a question, we have to name and acknowledge the assumption that precedes the question. We could say, "I confess, Jesus Christ is my Savior." But if we don't acknowledge that the whole reason why we have to answer that question is because we need a Savior, then we're missing the point. The truth of the matter is, the assumption, the foundation upon which we come into that profession is you and I, all of humankind for all time, needs a Savior. Can I get a witness? We need a Savior. And, and without a Savior, we are left empty and void. And the distance, the delta between us and God remains. And we need that gap to be bridged through the saving work of Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. And, and just so uh, we, we make sure that we're rooted not just in uh, the words of the profession of faith or in Jason's words. These words are rooted in Scripture. For us, we hear not only Romans 3.23, which has power for us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some have sinned, not, not a few have sinned, not many have sinned. It says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's so important for us to be rooted in that. This isn't a moment where, where Jesse could say, uh, well, uh, I've sinned, but maybe they haven't or maybe they've sinned but I haven't or, or for Roxy to say well I don't know about me but they mm-hmm. right like like we don't have that opportunity what we are saying in God's word it, it reveals to us in Romans 3 23 all everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we need a savior because we have a sin problem And then Paul articulates it again in a a deeper and fresh way for us in Romans chapter eight, Romans, excuse me, Romans chapter five, verse eight. Romans chapter five, verse eight. And this is gonna sound really familiar to you because you hear it when we gather around the sacrament of Holy Communion, hear this. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, when we, when we come together uh, at the Holy uh, Sacrament, gather around this table, uh, we, we confess our sins before God and one another. And then there's a time of silent reflect, of reflection, sitting in that void space acknowledging our need for a savior, and then there are piercing words of truth that break through for us. You remember them? Hear the good news, the presiding pastor will say. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Y'all probably didn't know that, that that whenever we say that uh, at the table, it's rooted in the scriptures. It's rooted in Romans chapter 5. Actually, everything we say in the great thanksgiving is rooted in the scriptures, to God be the glory. We're We're not making it up on the fly. It's rooted in God's word. We need a savior. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But just so we hear another voice from Scripture articulate this same truth, we're going to turn to uh, 1 John. 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. We'll hear it again in a new way, not only from Paul, but now also from John, attesting to this truth, our need for a Savior. And it reads, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He, that is Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Everyone in the entire world needs a Savior, needs the atoning work accomplished in Jesus Christ and His blood, His sacrifice for each of us. And so whenever we come to that profession of faith and we say, I confess Jesus Christ is my Savior, put my whole trust in His grace, promise to serve Him as Lord, in union with the church, that foundational word that Jesus Christ is my Savior comes with the assumption behind it, the truth for each of us that we need a Savior. And so now if, if you were at confirmation retreat, we would stop there. We would say, okay, we've acknowledged that assumption. Now we're, now we're good. We can move on to the other elements of that. But we're not gonna stop there today because there are layers deeper for us that it's good for us to acknowledge that there is truth there for us. Not only do I need saving, but are you ready for this? I can't save myself. I cannot Save myself. When we proclaim, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, we're saying that I need saving and I cannot save myself. I want you to hear from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64. And man, he has a, he ha, God through his prophet has a hard word for us. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. But it is truth for us and it leads us to salvation in Jesus. Hear the word all of us have become like one who is unclean and get this all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags we're we all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away all of our righteous acts are like a filthy rag so Aiden has the glorious opportunity of driving the inherited car, right? It's the car that went through me and went through Addy, and now it's his. It has 248,000 miles on it, and he has to put oil in it about every other... Uh, 249, 249, good call. Uh, yeah, when we get to that 250, we're going to go out to dinner and celebrate. It's going to be an accomplishment. But he has to put oil in it about every other, uh, every, every other uh, tank up of gas. You know, you have to add about a quart and a half. And, and so he, he has, has learned not only to buy oil and to add oil, but he's also learned that whenever he pours the oil, before he puts it back in his trunk, he wipes off all of uh, the funnel and the edge of the oil uh, can, bottle, with a rag. And after a little while, the rag is filthy. Filthy. And he has to discard the rag and he has to get new rags. So he bought some really nice rags last time around because he wanted them to last longer. But inevitably, no matter what he does, those rags continually get filthy and he has to discard them. Can you imagine this? Your and my righteous acts are filthy rags. Our sin blows us away, and we are nothing. The word of God is clear. Not only do we need a savior, but we cannot save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we cannot save ourselves. Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul writes it like this in Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians two, verse eight and nine. Hear this good word. I said Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and I turned to Philippians 2, 8, and 9, and I realized before I read it that I had made an error, and now I'm thankful that we arrive. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, hear this, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and then get this, and this is not from yourself, this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that not one of us can boast. This is the truth of the gospel, that our works, our righteous acts, all that we can do will amount to nothing when it it comes to salvation. So we not only need a Savior, but we cannot save ourselves. But I'm not going to stop there. When we say we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. And then get this. There is no other Savior but Jesus. We profess this. We believe this. This is the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word, the truth of the Christian faith. There is no other Savior but Jesus. And we need to hear it and we need to be reminded of it so we can be rooted in it and believe it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we hear this grand truth. From Peter now. So, by the way, we've heard from Paul, we've heard from God through Isaiah, we've heard from John. Now we're hearing from Peter in Acts chapter four, verse twelve. Hear this. Remember, we uh, we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves, and there's no other Savior but Jesus. Hear this. Acts four, verse twelve. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name. Under heaven, given to mankind, by which we must be saved. This is the truth of the gospel. For us, that the world, that each of us, has a Savior in Jesus Christ. And he is, as the Son of God, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The only way for the world to be reconciled with God. We're going to turn back to God's word, so it's not just a New Testament word, but it's also an Old Testament word. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. We're going to hear again what God said to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Hear this. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, apart from me, there is no other Savior. We have to hold fast to this truth, layers of assumptions that carry us forward into the gospel revelation that we have a Savior in Jesus and that we need saving. We cannot save ourselves and there is no other Savior but Jesus. And Mary knew this. This is actually the heartbeat of the Magnificat for us. The orientating word from the very beginning of this, uh, this, this outs, uh, outspring of her faith growing forth within her into a song. When we hear the words in the, the uh, in the gospel of Luke and hear Mary singing this great hymn of the faith, she is acknowledging that she, even she needs a savior. Now first, we need to to confess and admit that that in the history of the church, in the Roman Catholic Church, in the Orthodox Church, there's a a relationship with Mary that has developed over the course of time that that is beautiful and yet has crossed some bounds into misappropriating who Mary is. Mary is critical as the vessel through which God would uh, bring forth life to the world. She is the the vessel through which the incarnation takes place. And she's critical across the gospel work. She's there at the incarnation. She's also there at the crucifixion whenever she and other women are standing at a distance and Jesus acknowledges her from the cross as he hangs there. But not only is she there at the beginning of his life, his birth, and his death, but she's also there in his resurrected form and as they await for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Mary is still there with the disciples in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Mary is there throughout the story and continues on in the early church's ministry with the Holy Spirit as empowerment. Jesus lives in Mary. What a gift for us to acknowledge that. But Mary is incredibly clear. While she is God's chosen vessel, she is also absolutely human. And we can relate to her humanity, connect with her humanity, and understand that her testimony of who Jesus is for her is the same that Jesus is for us. As we lead into the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, we hear Mary's response to what's taking place. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answers. May your word to me be fulfilled in me. May your word to me be fulfilled in me. She's a humble servant that would bring forth life in Jesus Christ to the world. But from the very beginning of the Magnificat, it orients us to this truth. In Luke 1, verse 46 and 47, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and get this, and my spirit glorifies, Rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary articulates the very heartbeat of the gospel that she has a Savior in God through Jesus Christ. And this is a gift for the world, and it's a gift for her. And she has the same need that we have. And she can't accomplish it like we can't accomplish it. And this is the only way through which we can have salvation. Mary articulates that she has a Savior in Jesus just as we celebrate that we have a Savior in Jesus as well. But there are moments in time that we, we get a little bit uh, foggy uh, in this. We, we get distant from this truth. And, and Mary articulates for us two different things that inhibit us from that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But she doesn't leave us hanging there. She also articulates two uh, postures through which we can receive this saving work in Jesus so first, the two elements that detract, that take away from our ability to relate to Jesus as Savior. It comes in verse 51 and then in verse 53. Hear this. Uh, and uh, he, God performed mighty deeds with his arm. And then here's what it says. God has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Pride as uh, a critical detracting element, keeping us from right relationship With God and Jesus. And then in verse 53, uh, God has filled the hungry with good things and he has sent the rich away empty. He has sent the rich away empty. Pride and wealth, depending on things of this world over and above God, are recipes of disaster and destruction. We will remain in our need for a Savior without finding that Savior in Jesus if our pride, our reliance on self, and our wealth, our reliance on the things of this world, keep us away from Jesus. And then Mary articulates this contrast, this opposite, equal reaction that gives more powerful outcome through a saving relationship with Jesus. It comes to us in verse 52 and then in verse 53. God has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble humility. And then in verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. So if we have humility, acknowledging that we need saving and we can't do it on our own. If we come in that humility to God and offer our whole selves before the heavenly throne and say, I need you, God. That humility is blessed with a sacred response of reconciliation through the work of Jesus Christ. And that hunger, that hunger, that need to be filled. And you and I can relate to that because we will pursue all sorts of things to fill our hungers, our emotional, spiritual, relational hungers. We'll we'll follow all sorts of desires and inevitably every single one of them will leave us empty unless we acknowledge that we hunger for God. I mean, after all, you and I could watch 18 innings of Astros baseball and we could end with a Jeremy Pena home run and we could celebrate and we're moving on to the ALCS and we could have all that joy fill us up, but I guarantee that will always inevitably leave you yet empty. It leaves you empty because everything leaves you empty. Unless you establish that you hunger for God and that you humble yourself in that pursuit of God, you will remain empty. And so God reveals this truth to Mary. And Mary says, I'm not proud. I'm not rich. I'm humble and I'm hungry for a savior. And Jesus is that grand gift for her and for the world. Have you ever acknowledged this beautiful metaphor of the relationship between Mary and Jesus that is there for us as well? Have you thought about this? Mary knowingly had her Savior living inside of her. Mary had her Savior living inside of her. And that's not just an offering from God for her. That's an offering from God for each and every one of us. God is inviting us into relationship with him through the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes and dwells within us. All it takes for us is to say, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. I can't do it on my own. I've tried. I'm humble and I'm hungry. Fill me up with your." work inside of me, live in me, grow in me, shape me, and form me, so I will be who you want me to be in the world. I need a Savior, and I found that Savior in Jesus, and he lives in me. Woo! What a gift that is, that you and I are able to stand firm and stand up and say, I confess that I have a Savior in Jesus. And he walks with me and talks with me all across life's long way. And whenever we encounter the world, we do so in the power and the blood of Jesus. And whenever we are seen by the world, they know that something lives in us that they hunger and thirst for as well. Let us allow that indwelling of God in us, bear witness to God's power for the world, just as Mary did in her life and her grand song. May your song and my song, our life's witness together, always begin and end with the truth that we have a Savior in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you uh, astonished by the consistency of your word the truth that is contained therein, that the world, every single one, us included and Mary included, needs saving. And so, O God, we come before you uh, humbly acknowledging our emptiness. We hunger for you, O God. We thirst for your spirit. Lord, dwell within us. Move amongst us so that by the power of, and the working of your Holy Spirit, we might live in the truth that we have a Savior in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. As we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, Lord, I ask that you would be glorified and honored in these gifts and through the sacrificial work of these givers. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. We don't cling to the things of this world. We hold them loosely as gifts from you, and we offer a portion back to the kingdom-building work of your church. Be glorified in these gifts. And in this time, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.